Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Acquiring Arizona, Joe Biden nets another state. President Trump not conceding. China's congrats Beijing's belated message to the president-elect. And Disney Pluses and Minuses. Streaming success outweighing financial loss for the House of Mouse. It's Friday. Let's make a move. Welcome once again to First Move this Friday. It's good to be with you on yet another day of both pain, but also promise in the global COVID crisis and pride too in the scientific and healthcare communities whose vaccines, treatments and unfailing care continue to give us hope and support. And we need it. The United States recording its biggest ever jump in new cases to more than 150,000 people. Hospitalizations, meanwhile, have hit a fresh record high. New cases in Japan, too, also at a record level at this stage. If we take a look at what's going on in Western Europe, strict new containment measures seem to be slowing the spread. Curbs on activity, as we know, do seem to work. But of course, they come at a high economic price. And throughout it all, the hope for a vaccine to save us. The head of the Health and Human Services Agency promises that all Americans who want to get a vaccine will be able to get one by April. But the big question remains, what about the rest of the world? What about poorer nations too? It's a critical question and we'll keep asking it. In the meantime, market sentiment has swung all week between longer term hopes and the grim present day reality. Futures, as you can see, are higher after Thursday's 1% pullback for the Dow and the S&P. Europe at this moment is mixed. What's lifting as well? Disney helping lift the Dow after its streaming numbers roared like the lion in Lion King. All the details, the pluses and minuses, as I described them, coming up on the show. In the meantime, take a look at Asia, Chinese stocks taking a hit after the Trump administration moved to block U.S. investment in firms suspected of having ties to the Chinese military. Just one more issue that President-elect Biden will inherit and his win here looking increasingly irrefutable. Let's get to the drivers. President-elect Joe Biden's projected to win Arizona, flipping a long-held Republican stronghold. And as I mentioned, President Trump still refusing at this stage to concede. CNN's Joe Johns joins us as always. Joe, great to have you on the show. I think we have to illustrate the importance here of what flipping Arizona means. We can tie in the debate is to the president's criticism of John McCain, the, um, his wife, of course, his widow, Cindy McCain, choosing to back um, Joe Biden here in particular. But Joe, his lead now looks unassailable certainly does. As a start of today, he was ahead by something like 11,400 votes, uh, which uh, leads CNN to project him the winner in Arizona. And it is 
extraordinary and striking, especially because Joe Biden is only the second Democrat since 1948 and Harry Truman to win the state of Arizona. A little bit of that is about demographics in the state, including the increasing number of Latinos who are voters there and a lot of progressive voters. But it also says a lot about the president. This is a real rebuke of a Republican president in that state. And I can tell you personally, from traveling with the president to Arizona this cycle, it was pretty clear that while there was strong support for him reflected in the numbers, there was also concern, particularly among women voters I talked to in the state, about the president's style, his gruffness, his anger, his tweets, all of which uh, put some people in a quandary about whether to vote for him. The result is apparently Joe Biden's the winner. Julia. And Joe, you also made a, a great point within that too about how close the margins are, even with what we're seeing here. And that was the case in many of these big uh, battleground states. Where are we as far as recounts are concerned of allegations of fraud that are coming from the White House and, and the Republican side? What are we looking at in terms of anything well, uh, concrete. For, for starters, for starters, Arizona, no recount there because of the law, and it all depends on state law. So there are a couple places around the country that were close where the president is entitled to a recount, like the state of Georgia. That's going to be a hand recount. Uh, but the problem with all of this is if you talk to elections officials, even lawyers, and they look closely at this, in most cases, recounts only give the candidate asking for that recount a few hundred extra votes. And President Trump would need thousands and thousands of votes. In fact, nationally, if you look at the numbers, Joe Biden won this election by almost double the votes, it appears, or maybe more uh, than Donald Trump did in 2016. So it seems very hopeless, just as hopeless as some of the legal challenges this administration or this campaign has tried to bring to bear in some of these states. Lawyers say they're not going to bear fruit. And the fact of the matter, the president continues to tweet sort of baseless allegations about the election in various states suggesting he won when uh, the facts and the numbers just contradicted, Julia. Mm, president not backing down yet, it seems. Joe Johns, thank you so much for your context. All right. After days of silence, China congratulating President-elect Joe Biden. The foreign ministry says, quote, we respect the choice of the American people. It came shortly after President Trump signed an executive order banning Americans from investing in companies it says are controlled by the Chinese military. Ivan Watson is live in Hong Kong for us. Ivan, clearly this White House not backing down as far as executive orders related to China are concerned. Do we think there's a coincidence of timing here or uh, was it a coincidence, do you think? I mean, I would that would be purely speculative. Uh, certainly this week, uh, the Trump administration, President Trump himself signed this executive order banning investment into companies that are allegedly owned by the Chinese military. And the Chinese government doesn't like that at all. And during today's foreign ministry briefing, the spokesperson spent a lot of time just slamming that executive order, uh, claiming that, uh, you know, that, that this is an abuse of national power and it's driven by political motives. Also slamming U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who in an interview asserted that Taiwan is not part of China, which kind of crosses one of Beijing's red lines. 
But that official also uh, changed a position that he had stated on Monday where he had uh, stayed neutral on the question of President-elect Biden's electoral victory and now stepped forward and specifically congratulated, as he put it, Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris. Uh, so China now joins a, a growing list of both allies and rivals of the U.S. that are congratulating President-elect Biden, even as the current occupant of the White House and many of his allies continue to avoid accepting the results of the 2020 presidential election. Julia? Yeah, there's, there's still an element of cautiousness in there. I was just looking at the statement. At the same time, we understand that the outcome of this U.S. election will be determined in accordance with U.S. laws and procedures. So they uh, recognize the uh, ongoing challenges, I think, too. Does this election change anything? Because I think, and we've talked about this before, the, the Chinese leadership will be looking at this situation and weighing up, calculating, even with executive orders in the last week, how things will evolve under a President Biden compared to what we've seen with President Trump. Does much change? Well, I, I think the short answer is it, it appears no. And that's mm. what we're seeing in Chinese state media is that they recognize in print that suspicion of China is a bipartisan position right now in the U.S., shared by both Republicans and Democrats. And so they're not predicting that there will be a dramatic improvement in really what is kind of the worst tension that we've seen between Beijing and Washington in decades. However, we do hear statements in various uh, Chinese state newspapers, for example, that predict at the very least communication between Beijing and a Biden administration will take on a more professional tone than what we've seen over the course of the last four years with President Trump blasting out tweets uh, and, and policy, apparently, and China having to try to decipher what these tweets mean, uh, misspellings and poor grammar included. Um, that said, you know, President Trump, who was elected in 2016, uh, claiming that China was raping the U.S. when it came to monetary policy, uh, while bashing China on the one hand and embarking on trade wars, he also played up his close relationship, personal relationship with Xi Jinping. To the best of our knowledge, the last time he spoke directly with him was at the end of March when they had a phone call discussing the early days of the coronavirus pandemic and a blast to the short past. Uh, Trump afterwards tweeted, quote, we're working closely together. Much respect. A lot has changed in the last couple of months. Uh, Xi Jinping sent a get well message to Trump and the first lady last month when they both contracted coronavirus. Biden has met with Xi Jinping when he was vice president, but he campaigned on a pledge to be tough on mm. China. And instead of going it alone, America first, the way Trump has conducted his foreign policy, he has pledged to create a coalition of allies to put pressure on China. And that is a calculation I'm sure Beijing is, is aware of right now. Absolutely. So perhaps less confusion in terms of the interactions, but the need to address some of the asymmetries remains a pressing issue. Ivan Watson, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. The head of the U.S. Federal Reserve issuing a stark warning on the COVID-19 recovery. The economy we knew before the pandemic is gone forever. And what replaces it will be much more challenging for many. Just take a listen.
We're not going back to the same economy. We're going, we're recovering, but to a different economy. And it'll be one that is more leveraged to technology. And I worry that that is going to make it even more difficult than it was for, for many workers. Christine Romans joins me now. Christine, this is our exact fear. People yep. will like, get left behind. And people got left behind after the financial crisis, too. And we, we sort of forgot about it. And it was revealed by the COVID crisis that cannot happen again. Uneven. I mean, the recovery will be there, no question, and it will be uneven. And you and I have been talking for weeks now about Main Street and Wall Street. And Wall Street is looking ahead to a 2021 when there's mass production of vaccines and an economy that's becoming to, beginning to grow again and people getting on airplanes and going to restaurants and booking cruises. But that's a long way away for the real people who are suffering right now and who may be replaced in the workforce that comes back by automation, by technology and by telework. Uh, you're talking about frontline workers. You're talking about all kinds of industries that employ women and minorities disproportionately, already low-wage workers who, who are going to have a hard time finding their way into the next, the next iteration of the American economy. I mean, it's almost like paging Andrew Yang. He's been talking, but he ran for president on this very kind of concern that, that there would be people left behind by a, a highly technical, highly automated uh, marketplace that on its, on its surface is doing well. It's a growing economy with a stock market that's up, but really under the surface is leaving people behind. Yeah, and we thought we had two to five years to address some of the skills gaps, and we just collapsed that time with the, the shift that we saw over the yep. last nine months, effectively. One of the other things he said that stood out to me, the economy risks being less productive because many women in many cases have been forced to give up jobs to take care of children, not in all cases, but in, in many cases. He also said that children are missing out on education. So it's creating and exacerbating the inequality gap that we already have. And this really struck me. You know, here's America's top economist, essentially, the, the central bank chief, essentially highlighting exactly in real world terms what all of us are feeling and what all of our families are talking about. You know, I mean, I go on a run in my neighborhood and the other moms are talking about whether they're going to be able to make it into 2021 or how they're going to get um, some some uh, some help for the kids and the homework because they're not going back to school. I mean, these are these are the top of mind conversations that are are disrupting and animating uh, Americans lives. And he's said it right there, that that will make make this country less productive because we are so consumed, really, by managing coronavirus. And isn't that what it really is, that our efforts and energies have been diverted to managing coronavirus first and then everything else after that? It's really remarkable and tells you just how profound this pandemic has been on almost every aspect of our lives. Yeah. And we could substitute the United States of America for many other countries right. around the world that are going through the same thing. This is a this is a global issue. Christine, great to chat to you. Hopefully, hopefully we do something more about it to support yes. people. Christine Romans there. Now, while Paul was speaking, COVID cases climbed even higher. The virus shattering infection records across the United States, as Adrian Brodus reports. All across the country, states are struggling to get the pandemic under control. Nationwide, more than 67,000 Americans are currently in the hospital with coronavirus, the highest number since the beginning of the pandemic. And Thursday, 18 states reporting record hospitalizations. We need you to stay safe now because I want you to get to that point where we pull through this. A new projection from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation now predicts the country could see more than 2,200 deaths a day from the virus by mid-January. 
And the death toll could reach nearly 439,000 by March 1st if behaviors don't change. After beating down its curve in the spring, Michigan is now facing a dire situation. It reported more than 7,300 new cases Thursday and a test positivity rate of more than 10%. This is the worst week of COVID we've ever had. And two weeks from now, we are going to see our numbers continue to climb without significant action by the people across our state. And Wisconsin reporting more than 8,000 new coronavirus cases on Thursday. Concern growing that hospitals are at or near capacity. I believe we're getting to the point where hospitals are strained and are likely to run out of staff before they run out of physical space. We've heard there are some hospitals that have no ICU beds uh, available as of today. In Colorado, 85% of ICU beds are currently in use after the state recorded its highest number of cases and hospitalizations. Utah announcing the state has run out of ICU beds entirely. Here in Chicago, the mayor issuing a stay-at-home advisory, encouraging residents to only leave the house for essentials and to cancel gatherings and Thanksgiving travel. This is literally a matter of life and death. And if we see you violating these rules in any way, we're not gonna hesitate to take action. And with hospitals getting overwhelmed, the increasing number of deaths is taking a toll on healthcare workers like Jenny Gelzer. When they pass and you're wiping them down and putting them in the body bag, it's, you know, it's, it's gutting almost. And like I said, it's afterwards you zip them up, they go out and, and you're on to the next. Adrian Brodus uh, reporting for us there. All right, we're going to take a break here on First Move. Coming up as Japan congratulates President-elect Joe Biden. We'll be looking at how the U.S.-Japan relationship may evolve. We'll be talking with the consumer products giant, the CEO of Suntory. And also, don't spill your drinks in this. Yes! Yes! Those are some big seatbelts. Fasten them up for the Virgin Hyperloop. We're being promised a super fast future of travel, but how far away is it? That's coming up. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move, live from New York, where futures are higher on the final trading day of the week. Dow component Cisco, a maker of networking and video conferencing tools, is set to rise more than 7% after they raised forecasts. Firm continue to ramp up work from home infrastructures, which is clearly helping their results. It's been a profitable week so far for the Dow and the S&P as investors weigh up the COVID crisis against positive vaccine news. We're clearly in a transitional period with many conflicting lines for investors to deal with. I think the bottom line is that the stay at home trade will be with us for a while yet. Now, the CEO of Japanese food and drinks giant Suntory has welcomed Joe Biden's victory in the presidential election. Suntory is one of the world's biggest consumer goods companies. Its brands range from things like Orangina to Jim Beam. Its global presence makes it particularly exposed to the COVID-19 recovery worldwide and, of course, to international politics, too. I'm very excited to say joining us now, Takishi Niyami is the CEO of Suntory. He's also an advisor to the Japanese prime minister, too. So wonderful to have you on the show once again. 
It's clearly a complicated time, I think, for democracy in America and for leadership in America. How do you see relationships around the world and the U.S.-Japanese relationship changing under a President Biden versus a President Trump? I definitely believe the uh, President-elect Joe Biden had a great conversation with the uh, Prime Minister Suga this time to strengthen the ties between the two countries. So I definitely believe the relation will be uh, much better than before at the time of the uh, President Trump. And uh, we business leaders uh, welcome uh, President-elect Biden. Um, so this is a great moment. And uh, plus, uh, we like to ex expect that the uh, U.S. Uh, will go back to the uh, multilateral approach to the uh, global, I mean, uh, world uh, stage. So that will be fantastic. What does that mean for you as the, as the leader of a big business who has a big market in Japan, but also a, a big market in the United States? Define what you mean by better, particularly from a business perspective. Well, trade issue mm. has been so concerning. And between the even the Japan and the United States. And on top of that, we have a big business with the EU. And uh, I expect that uh, President-elect and the, his team will release the you know, grip between the uh, EU and the United States, like uh, reducing the uh, levies. And there was, uh, and there has been a titan for that uh, uh, trade war between the EU and uh, uh, the, the United States of America, it's really concerning. But I, I, I anticipate that uh, that will be lifted sooner or later. That's my anticipation. You know, it's interesting in the statement that you put out congratulating President-elect Joe Biden, you, you put one sentence which caught my attention immediately. And I just want to show our viewers what you said. You said, I believe it's inevitable that the U.S. global leadership will wither in the long term. Japan must continue deepening the US-Japan alliance, but be ready itself for a leaderless era. Do you think the world will be leaderless or do you think a, a nation perhaps, and we see the challenges and have done for the last four years, China taking a far bigger leadership role? Because that will have a very different impact on the world and we're already seeing that. I don't think China wants to take responsibility for the uh, 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 leadership role in the world. China is not ready and China is not willing. However, the, uh, because of the uh, huge social divisions of the U.S., will take the uh, leadership like uh, President-elect Biden toward the inner looking more and more. Hmm. So because of that, the uh, U.S. will be declining in terms of the leadership role in the world. I hope that will not happen, but because of the current the huge, huge divisions uh, in society, and uh, because of the uh, almost close to 50% of the people supported President Trump, that means a lot. And uh, we want the United States to rejoin the TPP. That's uh, the best strategy. But, uh, uh, we are not so hopeful that, that that will happen. 
You're asking all the questions that I think the nation has to ask about the division of, of votes here and actually how close it was in terms of votes. Um, I do want to ask you, though, as a, a CEO of a big Japanese company, obviously we're watching the COVID crisis in your country as closely as what's going on in the United States and around the world. The last time you were on my show, you were saying that you were worried that 20 percent of restaurants would close. And it was an astonishing number. Are you more or less concerned in light of of what the country is witnessing today? Still, I think more concerning. Mm. I think more restaurants and bars will go under. I'm afraid to say because of the uh, this serious infection and the third wave is well prepared by uh, all the world, but uh, still it's uh, affecting the business of the bars and the restaurants. I'm sorry, but that will happen. Very quickly, sir, how are you advising the Prime Minister? What further action is required? Uh, definitely PCR testing and antigen testing, much more. That should be more available, available to any, any uh, patients to be. And uh, well, Japan is a little prepared in terms of the uh, hospitals and uh, spaces to those people if uh, they got to be hospitalized. But having said that, I think uh, um, the government has to support uh, those in need, like uh, uh, low-income uh, households uh, for the time being. And plus, uh, Japan has to uh, mobilize the uh, uh, labor to the uh, growing, I mean, uh, 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 industries like DX and uh, um, I think uh, uh, those who are growing, though we should not keep labor in declining industries. Yeah, wise words, uh, short term and medium term for many nations. Fantastic to have you on the show. Come back in soon and talk to us, please. Uh, Takeshi Niyami there, the CEO of Suntory. Fantastic to chat to you as always, sir. All right, the market opens next. Stay with us. Welcome back to First Move and U.S. stocks are up and running this Friday. We are higher across the board in early trade. Long term hope winning out, I think, against the growing alarm over spiking COVID cases in the United States and, of course, in Europe. The U.S. recording more than 150,000 new infections for the first time ever on Thursday. U.S. labs are now warning that surging demand for tests will lead to longer wait times for the results. But the health secretary, Alex Azar, is promising vaccines will be available to seniors by January and to all Americans by April. It's a global story, though. And in the meantime, we only have therapeutics to help lessen the suffering. No extra help coming from Washington, which remains deadlocked on stimulus. The White House seemingly walking away from the bargaining table with Democrats once again. All right, let's move on. HVAC air control system maker Carrier is tackling the coronavirus pandemic with new cold storage technology and data tracking. It's expected to help extend the shelf life of crucial COVID-19 vaccines. Carrier also introducing new air purification technology for healthy buildings. It cleans and removes air potentially contaminated by the virus. Joining us now, President and CEO of Carrier, David Gitlin. David, fantastic to have you on the show. You well and truly are at the heart of all the technologies that are essential to fighting the COVID crisis at this moment. Let's talk about your cold storage technology and Exciting for me, too, that the data analytics that are tied to that that you provide. 
Yeah, thank you, Julia, for having me. You know, you look at having a pandemic unlike this world has seen in over 100 years, and it's never been more critical that we play our role in being part of the solution. You look at what the scientists have accomplished at the pharmaceutical companies in a year, which should take three to five years. Now it's going to be our job to safely distribute those vaccines. And one of the criticalities is the cold chain. Most pharmas need to be distributed at two to eight degrees C, which is the case for three of the five pharmaceuticals here. But two of the five require a deep freeze, which adds a whole new set of complexity, one at minus 20 degrees, one at minus 70 degrees. So what we've done is establish a partnership with AWS because data is going to be critical to the safe logistics that's going to be required here. So if you picture a pharmaceutical going from production all the way through to the end administration, it goes through a series of handoffs, through a series of modes of transportation. What we need is all of that cold data that's put into one single source, which is a cloud-based data lake that we've established with AWS. And once you aggregate that data, now you can put it to use to ensure the safe and effective transportation of these pharmaceuticals. So you get information like, has the door of the van or the, the trailer been left open for too long? Have you pre-cooled the, 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 the trailer? You would never put a cold beer in a refrigerator you're plugging in for the first time. <laughs> what you can use data to do is say, hey, look, within an hour of going for a pickup uh, for a new vaccine, have you pre-cooled the trailer? So data is going to be critical to looking at weather patterns and a variety of other elements to use AI and machine learning to ensure the safe and effective transportation of these pharmaceuticals. Actually, that's fascinating. You just mentioned tracking weather patterns as well. So if you can track what the weather's like in a certain position, you can perhaps reroute where you're taking the vaccines or make decisions on who you deliver to when in order to, to maximize your ability to, to keep them in appropriate storage conditions. This is quite phenomenal. Talk to me about your carrier pods too, because this is also part of it and the use of, of dry ice to maintain conditions where you need to keep them at super cold temperatures. Yeah, you can actually see an example over my shoulder here, which is we've come up with a mobile pod that's a 40-foot container that's actually cooled with a, a zero G or one GWP refrigeration unit. So it's good for the environment. It's a mobile pod, and it can cool the environment to minus 30 degrees C. So if you take the Pfizer vaccine, which is in a self-contained box that has dry ice in it, remember that clock is tick ticking to ensure the effective distribution and then administration of it. If you can put that box in a container that's minus 30 degrees C, you reduce the sublimation by 50%, which is another way of saying you can double the life of the vaccines that are in that dry ice contained box by 2x. So what hmm. we want is to get these boxes out universally. And this is very much, as you said, a global phenomenon. When you're seeing global cases, five, 600,000 a day, when you look at places like Africa, India, they just do not have the cold chain infrastructure. The United States spends 300 times per capita more on cold chain than India. And you get 1.4 billion people in India without a cold chain infrastructure. So you're the only way we're going to ensure a safe and effective distribution of this vaccine is putting a series of these types of pods throughout the country to ensure they have a cold chain infrastructure in places like India, in places like Africa, and frankly, across the United States. The hairs on my arms just rose as you were talking about the differences there between what we have here in the United States and, and places like India. It's, it's great that this technology will be available. I mean, David, I just want to illustrate for our viewers as well, you're currently protecting $9 billion worth of perishables that travel 
um, over the ocean each day just to give people a sense. I want to move on and talk about air purification too, because I do think we've learned lessons in COVID of simply being indoors. One of the stats you've provided, Americans spend 90% of their lives indoors. And we're seeing that with rising COVID cases, I think, over the, the, the winter months here. Talk about that technology too and, and healthy buildings, not just now, but going forward. I appreciate, Julia, you transitioning to that because at Carrier, we're in the middle of these two critical ecosystems, Mm. healthy, safe, and sustainable buildings and cold chain solutions. And on buildings, what's happened now, and you heard it from some of your previous guests, is that people are now afraid to go indoors. When people go to restaurants, they'll say, I'll only go to a restaurant if I can sit outdoors. And what we need to do is give people confidence that they can go safely into indoor air environments. So what we've done is we've started by introducing a series of new products that provide very high levels of filtration down to 0.3 microns that can protect homes, they can protect office buildings, K through 12 schools. So we have mobile filtration units that you can plug in and provide HEPA filter levels of filtration. The next is ventilation. You want a good flow of air throughout the building. You wanna bring in as much outdoor air as possible. So we've now worked on customized solutions to provide safe ventilation and indoor airflow And then the ultimate, which we're working on now, is giving people visibility. So before you make a restaurant reservation, you can see, does it have a safe and healthy indoor air environment? And people used to take the indoor air environments for granted. You would never ask the question before you drop your kids off at school, is that a safe indoor air air environment? Now we're going to give people visibility so they not only feel comfortable, they have confidence at going back indoors. Yeah, it's such an important point. And I think about it every single time I go indoors now, quite frankly. I know you think it's going to be in the future a $10 billion business because we're all going to think more going forward. David, I have very little time left, but I do want to ask you, are you talking to governments, working with governments on the cold chain storage technology here? Because it's an additional cost, I think, that we didn't factor in when we were pumping money into vaccine research. Is this work being done at a sufficient scale? Yeah, I have never seen a situation where public-private sector have come together in such a a collaborative way. You know, look, this is an issue that transcends uh, politics. We all need to come together. We've worked with the CDC, the distribution companies like McKesson, the pharmaceutical companies. And like I said, it's a global phenomenon. So we're working with states and local communities here, but we're working with governments overseas as well. This is truly a global pandemic, and it requires a global response. David, come back soon. This is just the beginning of our conversations, I can tell. David Gitlin, President and CEO of Carrier. Thank you for joining us and thank you for you and your team's work. Thank you. All right. Thank you. After the break, strap yourselves in for a rail revolution. Imagine being slingshot through an airless tunnel at a thousand kilometers an hour. Nail biter, perhaps? Well, we'll see. The CEO of Virgin Hyperloop next. Just wow. Los Angeles to San Francisco in 43 minutes. Chicago to Pittsburgh in 30 minutes. The Hyperloop promises train travel in record time and it's a step closer to reality after successful tests with human passengers, as you saw there for the first time on a track near Las Vegas. It wasn't full speed, but you can see the reaction. It was big smiles. Eventually, the Virgin Hyperloop will reach 1,000 kilometers per hour, three times faster than high-speed rail and 10 times faster than conventional rail, but with the same G-force. And it promises a lower environmental impact than other forms of travel. 
And this competition, Virgin has beaten Elon Musk with the first passenger tests. Jay Walder is CEO of Virgin Hyperloop, who must be a very happy man. Jay, I'll say it again. Wow. This is a huge moment. Well, it smiles ear to ear, Julia. And I, I thank you for, <laughs> for having me this morning. Talk to me about how you decided who actually got the chance to test this. So, so look, this is really, I think, the dawn of a new era of transportation. And, and we had already done um, about 400 tests at our test facility in Las Vegas. And, and we had proved that, that Hyperloop works. But, but the question that, that we kept getting was, is it safe? Uh, is it great for people? And, and uh, what I love about what we did this past weekend is that we've definitively answered that question. And the answer is yes. Uh, it is safe. It is smooth. Uh, you, you saw the video of, of our colleagues who were in the pod. These are real people. Josh Geigel, our, our CTO and co-founder. Sarah Lucian, our, our director of passenger experience. Uh, real people in a pod with a smile ear to ear. And as Sarah said, uh, she wouldn't spill a drop of coffee. Uh, what are we looking at here? Uh, we really are looking at new transportation. This isn't incremental. This is a giant leap right now. It is super fast, as you said, a thousand kilometers an hour. It's high capacity. Um, it has the ability to be able to move people and goods at the same time. So we have both mobility and logistics. Um, it's on demand and flexible. So it feels much more like ride hailing than the way that we think about the tyranny of train schedules. And then one of my favorite parts, frankly, is that it, it's green. Uh, this yeah. is a technology that will not pollute the air that we breathe. And so, you know, we really haven't had the opportunity to move forward on, on new technologies like this for so long. Uh, and now that time is here. Yeah, I mean, it's like something out of Star Trek. In fact, it's, it's better. But as you said, and you made this comparison to, to ride hailing, this is like ride hailing on steroids, quite frankly. But you have to build the infrastructure, unlike ride hailing, which can use existing roads. Jay, how long before we see this being adopted into even the smartest of cities that we, we have around the world? We're, we're a long way still, surely, from what we're seeing today, as exciting as it is, and actually seeing this adopted into smart cities of the future. Hey, I don't think we're that long away. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the point I make about it is we have now shown that the technology works. We've shown that it's safe. We're really moving to commercial application right now. Uh, I, I think you'll be seeing the technology before the end of the decade. And I think you'll see the first applications of this uh, being around. And I think that the change that this will unleash, the ability to take journeys that we've come to know as hours and literally turn them into minutes is going to be incredibly powerful. We've had people reaching out to us from all around the globe. Uh, the time is actually now. I, I, we're ready to go. You know, it's interesting what we've been through with the pandemic. We've had a sense of what not driving around so much does and instantly in the space of a few weeks, the health of the globe looked better. The waters were cleaner. The air was cleaner. At the same time, we're working from home, we're in cities less, and people are saying maybe that will be the way going forward to a greater extent. How has that changed investment potential, do you think? How this will be used going forward? And do you think it accelerates or has slowed the timeline to getting to that point where you say, hey, we'll be there by the end of the decade? I actually think that the, the pandemic, and it's obviously a terrible pandemic, 
But I think it's also unleashing some new imagination for us. I think it's giving us the ability to shake off the cobwebs. And I think we're realizing a few things out of this. I think we, we do realize that mobility and logistics are really important to us. We want to see people. We want to be able to move around. We care desperately about what's happening with the environment. And your point, Julia, is so right. I, I, I sat in my apartment in Los Angeles and kept looking out at the air, and it was, it was amazing. Why, why give that up? Let's have the way that we can go forward in that way. And, and I think it's I think there really is something about spurring imagination that's coming out of this right now that's actually helping us. And, and you know, people are looking for the new normal. They're looking to say, let's not just rebuild, but let's evolve. Let's find the ways that are going to make everything better for us. Yeah, I, I should be so enthusiastic, but I can't help myself. This is like space travel to me. It's just exciting. And I can't wait to, uh, to see what you do. Jay Walder, CEO of Virgin Hyperloop, congratulations once again. It is a huge moment. Thank you for joining Julia, us. Julia, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, when we come back, the streaming wars get turned up another notch. We've got fresh numbers from Disney Plus, where the House of Mouse stands next. Disney Plus, one of the few pluses in another tough quarter for the entertainment giant. The streaming service netting over 73 million subscribers in the first year alone. That stat combined with better than feared earnings lifting shares by nearly 2%. Ooh, not quite now. Uh, slipping as we progress through the trading session. Frank Pelota joins us now. Frank, it's all about the plus in Disney Plus. And just try not to look at the rest of the business, which is challenged clearly by the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, look at it this way. The theater, uh, they, their blockbuster movie studios had delayed their films until next year. Their parks and resorts had to close and then reopen with new health guidelines and lower capacity. Yet, as you said, the stock was doing pretty well last night after the earnings. Why is that? It's because Disney Plus had a great quarter and honestly, a really great year, which tells you everything you need to know about Disney right now. It's a streaming company, and that's what the investors are hoping it's going to become more of as we move on into the future. Yeah, it makes uh, makes perfect sense to me. Talk to me about California, though, because you also and you pointed to it, the challenges of theme parks, not only managing them in, in the covid outbreak and amid the covid outbreak, but for California, it's become a real problem because they've simply not been able to reopen. Yeah, I mean, look at it this way. Around the world, Disney's parks have mostly reopened. Walt Disney World, arguably its biggest park and its most important park, has been open since the summer. Shanghai has been open. But the one park that hasn't really opened is Disneyland, which was the original Disney park. And this is because of, uh, you know, Disney will say that the state of California has stopped them from reopening. California will say that they're not ready to open theme parks yet. So it's this kind of like uh, two factions really just keeps staring at one another to figure it out. Disney called uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, out on its earnings call last night, basically saying, you know, we want to reopen. We want to be able to show how well we've been doing in these other parks. I don't know why we're not being able to. And the fact that it hasn't opened has really hurt Disney's bottom line, especially in their parks and resorts division, which had massive layoffs in September. 28,000 people uh, lost their job. I mean, well, got laid off. Yeah, I mean, it's no wonder that uh, the activists have been saying to Disney, guys, you need to think about the dividend and just pump that money that you save from the dividend back into Disney Plus, because this is the jewel of the crown right now. And of course, that's what we saw, too. 
Yeah, that's what happened last night. So Dan Loeb, uh, an activist investor, mm. uh, last month basically said uh, that we, you know, he wanted to take the dividend, which I, be- which, uh, and put that back into Disney Plus, into content production. And last night, Disney pretty much announced that that they're. Uh, suspend their dividend in the upcoming quarter because they want to put more money into Disney Plus and because obviously the coronavirus pandemic. But anyone who's looking at this company right now is going is is totally into that idea because Disney Plus is not is no longer the future of this company. It is the present of this company and has been a lifeboat for them through a really awful year, arguably the worst year in the nearly hundred year history of the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, it's a tough one. Is that Indiana Jones behind you, Frank, by the way? That is Indiana Jones. That is now <laughs> off property because they own this films. I'm sorry. Basically, the apartment, it's like I live inside of a Bennigan's. So, you know, this is what it looks like. I'm I have sorry. other wall art. I just want all the women watching at home to know I have other wall art than Indiana Jones. Just <laughs> I think you know. that's noted, Frank. Thank you But for this that. movie rocks. This movie rules. I don't care what anybody says. It's no, my I love favorite them too. Movie. Whatever. Yeah, I love them too. Indiana 100%. Jones is cool. So I was checking. All good. Frank for later. Thank you. All right. If you didn't know, today of all days, Friday the 13th is World Kindness Day. That's what we'll focus on. In this tweet, the Dalai Lama says it's time to think about other people's problems and we need to be at one with humanity. Here are five ways to be kind. Call an old friend, bake for a neighbor, volunteer time for something, reuse and recycle and wear a mask. I have to say, in my case, don't bake for the neighbor. That would be the biggest kindness. Now, finally, a high-tech message of hope in Seoul, South Korea. After another tough week in the COVID-19 crisis, hundreds of drones took to the skies Friday evening in a dazzling synchronized light display, the government calling it a measure to give comfort and joy to citizens during the crisis and to thank them for helping stop the spread. Beautiful images there. All right, that's it for the show. I'm Julia Chatterley. Stay safe this weekend and we'll see you next week. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.